Lansing Area Church of Christ's weekly message podcast. If you'd like to learn more about LACC, please visit us online at lansingchurch.org. This week, Joel Nagel continues the Love Without Limit sermon series with a sermon discussing John chapter 12 called The Cost. worship team. Thanks, campus ministry. That was awesome. Represented. Um, fantastic. Hey, this is a big week for um, one person in this room in particular. And maybe maybe you can claim a bigger week, but I don't know. Um, there's someone in this room who's getting married three times this week, starting today and ending next Saturday. You're like, how is that even possible? Aren't we, are we a church or not? Here's how it's possible. Uh, Mark Goodbody, you want to stand up? There he is. This is the guy I'm talking about. Let's go. There he is. Um, uh, so he, uh, you can sit, sit down now. Thank you. That's great. Um, he, <laughs> he's, uh, he's from England. He lives in Wales currently, um, and he's been uh, dating and engaged to Aaron Scott, and, uh, which is so awesome. Um, and so here's what's happening. Today after church, he's getting married to Jesus in the waters of baptism. Um, amen. Because there's like immigration stuff with this, he's getting, they're getting married at the court Wednesday, is that right? Thursday? One of these days? Yeah, okay. This week. And I couldn't hear you. And, uh, and then on Saturday, they're getting married here uh, in the church. And so three weddings, one week, boom. That's cool. We all get to be at this one uh, today. So about 10 minutes after church, we'll pull together and uh, he's going to give his life to God once and for all uh, and set himself up for an incredible relationship and marriage. So... Uh, super proud of you. We've been studying uh, on Zoom on Friday mornings for the past few months, and it's been totally amazing uh, to get to know him and to, to seek God together. So uh, pretty cool that that can happen. All right, Psalm 45, before we get into the message here today. Uh, so, you know, we planned the, this, uh, this whole liturgy, um, this order for our services way back last fall. And, uh, and you know, that today we'd be preaching John 12, that we'd have the Psalms 40. 344 and 45. Um, and, uh, and I just can't believe how much Psalm 45 fits with our text today of John chapter 12. And so I want to read a little bit a little bit more than usual uh, and let you guys know. I don't know if you know much about Psalm 45. I love the Psalms. They are by far, they have become my very favorite part of, of all scripture. Um, and uh, Psalm 45 is this, it's, it's called, if you read the heading there, a love song. And it is a, a poem about a, the prince being married. Um, that's what we have in the middle in the in the book of Psalms. This poem about uh, a, like a wedding song, which is so perfect uh, for what we even talked about today. Uh, but it's of course it's talking about Jesus. It's one of the most messianic psalms in all of the psalms. And so let me tell you some things about Jesus as we read through this, and then you'll get to see them in John 12, like all the things. It's really amazing. Uh, so it says, "My heart overflows with a pleasing theme." Like. I'm going to sing you a song. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. We're talking about Jesus here, okay? Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. And we're going to get to see the king today ride out, just as this psalm talks about. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The 
peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of righteousness. You've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions, your robes, and all your fragrant are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. And in today's passage, we'll get to see Jesus anointed with myrrh. From ivory places, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. Hear, O daughter, and consider, and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty, since he is your lord. Bow to him. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts. The richest of the people, Tyre is outside of Israel. We'll see today in today's text, the Greeks will seek Jesus in today's text. All in John chapter 12. All glorious is the princess in her chamber, with robes interwoven with gold. In many colored robes she is led to the king, with her virgin companions following behind her. With joy and gladness they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. In place of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. Now it's singing about us. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore nations will praise you forever and ever. We can turn to John chapter 12. Um, and I'll say a prayer before the message begins. Uh, Lord, um, uh, we're here today to hear your word. And uh, as even as we just think about how connected your word is with Samson and Jesus and Psalm 45 and John chapter 12 and so many other ways, Lord, um, it's you, it's your word, it's your spirit uh, that we want to connect to right now. And I pray that this message could do that very thing for all of our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So. We'll read in John 12 in just a moment. The title of the message today is The Cost. John chapter 12, The Cost. Um, you know, there's a saying, nothing in life is free. You ever heard that before? Nothing in life is free. That's like a law. It's, it's maybe more established than the law of gravity, right? Nothing in life is free. If you haven't learned that yet, you will. There's a cost to everything. That's not such a bad thing because there's another law or saying that's very similar. You get what you pay for. You ever heard or experienced that one? You know, as an athlete, if you rely on talent, but you don't put the work in to make yourself better in practice, if you're like, practice? Then you won't become the athlete that you could be. The free route, the easy route, won't pay off. And if you're an old athlete, you'll also get injured if you try to do that. As an employee, you can coast and get a paycheck, or you can give your all in advance. Same is true for students. You know, we've reached this pivotal moment as we've gone through the Gospel of John this year, where Jesus has decided to go to Jerusalem during the Passover festival where the Jewish leadership is seeking his life. This chapter, John chapter 12, is a transition chapter that takes us from stories about Jesus' life to the story of his death. Jesus is about to pay the ultimate price, the ultimate cost. Today, we'll see that because he was willing to give it all, we as his followers can't practice easy, cheap, or free religion. We have a high price to pay if we're to glorify God and honor Christ's sacrifice. 
did you know that as a Christian, you also get what you pay for? Here's the thing. I'm not talking literally about money. God does not need our money, even though so many Christians get confused about that. But there is a cost for us to count if we're going to get the most out of our relationship with God, this relationship that we've been so blessed to receive. So let's talk about the cost of worship. We'll start reading John 12, verse 1. It says, six days before the Passover, and I want to say um, on the daily devotionals that came out this morning, we'll send the text out to everybody um, if you aren't following those yet. Uh, there's even just the six days before Passover, there's a whole devotional on that phrase right there. John is doing some stuff. We don't have time to get into all the stuff. But six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And we talked about that last week for Easter. If you haven't watched that, if you missed Easter, check it out. Uh, it's good stuff. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclined, reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and was having charge of the money bag he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Lazarus is like a, an attraction at this point, uh, which, as you can imagine. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So I think there's so many funny moments in the Gospel of John, if you dig into it, but this has got to be the funniest. The Jews are like... <laughs> We need to kill that guy again. Uh, the guy who just rose from the dead, we need to unalive him. This is a, like, and they couldn't figure out, okay, you, you're way off if that's what your plan is, uh, to kill the guy who just rose from the dead. Anyway, so here's what's going on. Jesus comes back to Bethany. It's this surreal scene. They're having dinner with Lazarus. Can you imagine? That's when you know you raise someone from the dead, when you're having dinner with them. You're, you're like, if I'm at dinner, I'm just watching him eat. Like he's chewing the food. He's swallowing the food. It's not floating through his body. Like what, how is this, I'm not talking at dinner. I'm just, I've, I'm paying attention to every move that Lazarus makes, okay? Mary, she's got something else going on, okay? She decides to get up at this dinner and and we've talked about this before, but the way they ate dinner is really cool, actually, or ate food. They would kind of lay on these cushions on their side, okay? They didn't have, like, tons of tables and chairs like we have now. They couldn't go to Value City and grab the furniture. So they lay on the side, elevated thing here. The, the food would be brought out in these big trays, and they would kind of, like, just scoop it into their mouths. Can you imagine laying down and scooping food? Does not, that, that sounds amazing, right? Like, why, why do we need tables and chairs? Let's just lay and scoop. Uh, this sounds good. Okay, so they're scooping the food, but this makes sense that Mary would anoint Jesus' head, but the feet, everyone's feet 
And we'll see this in chapter 13 when Jesus washes everyone's feet. Next week, spoiler alert. Uh, but the feet are, are open, and they're here. And so Mary could go and not only anoint his head, but she could easily reach his feet and start to anoint his feet and wash his feet with her hair, which is a really wild. This, every dinner party Jesus goes to, it's just amazing. Um, so awesome, okay? Um, she anoints, she uses this expensive perfume. There's myrrh in nard. Um, and, uh, and Judas is mad about it for all the wrong reasons. He cares too much about money. Um, and so what's cool is anointing the head was common. You would, you would be anointed on your head. Anointing someone's feet, unheard of, shocking. And what Mary's saying, it's like she's saying that Jesus' feet, and we just sang the song, we fall down to the feet of Jesus. It's like she's saying the feet of Jesus are more worthy than any head. Jesus was worth everything to Mary. So she took the most humble posture. Can you imagine wiping someone's feet with your hair? What's Jesus worth to you? You could say he's your everything. You could say he's my all in all. You can even do the things. Read your Bible, tithe, share the gospel, doing all the things. But how can you look at somebody, look at a person and look at their life and say, you know what? Yeah, Jesus is worth everything to her. You look at their posture. Not like they've kind of developed a hunch from typing all day, which is what I'm working on. Uh, but rather, what's the posture of their lives? Are they sitting in the special place at the table, looking around and judging and criticizing everything that's going on around them? Such a temptation as we get older to get to that place? Or have they adopted a humble posture with their lives? Giving, quietly serving, not caring about others' judgment, but caring about God's judgment and what pleases God. That's the worship that happens outside of Sunday morning church. It's a heart posture that avoids becoming haughty and fights against Satan and the world to stay humble. Mary shows us this posture, and it angers those who worship through money or through deeds, because it's opposed to that. And I love Jesus' response. Judas is outraged. Jesus links it to his burial. You know, there were two reasons for a person to be anointed, as we look in Scripture. Kings were anointed, and so were corpses. It seems like Mary is the only one in the room humble enough to see that Jesus is both. What will God reveal to you when you commit to the posture of humility, which is the real cost of worship? Amen? Let's keep reading. We're going to talk about the cost of lordship. John 12, verse 12. It says, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And we celebrated this two weeks ago before Easter. Remember, two weeks ago I said, we're going to do this backwards because of where we're going. But we had the palms, we turned, we turned them into the crosses. Remember all of that? Okay. 
It says, And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And I love this picture of the Pharisees. Like, you have, you're gaining nothing. You're, they're fighting against each other. We're losing this thing. The world has gone after him. And they're freaking out. Isn't that a good, I love that. Uh, that the world has gone after him? Not in their eyes, because they're trying to kill him. Yeah. Um, yeah, it should be a good thing. There's a lot of irony in this text, and I love that you see that. Uh, this passage is famously known as the triumphal entry. Um, and as I said, we celebrated it two weeks ago for Palm Sunday, we, the waving of the palms. Um, but now we get to look at the text more in depth. Things are looking awesome for Jesus five days before Passover. The people are crying out, praise Hosanna. Hosanna means save. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Um, Hosanna means save us. They're crying out, save us. Um, this phrase is asked uh, of, of kings for deliverance. And you can check it out in the daily devotionals. I've got all the scriptures that reference all of this. Uh, Hosanna is used to address a king. Hosanna uh, is used to address God. Um, if you know, check out Psalm 118. So Psalm, 1, Psalm 45 that we started with is a very messianic psalm. Psalm 118 is maybe the most of the messianic psalms. It's all about Jesus. It's so significant. In Psalm 118, it's actually the first chapter of the second half of the Bible, even the way the chapters are laid out. Uh, psalm 117 is very short. It's the very middle. And the very next, like the second half starts at Psalm 118, okay? Um, it's the final psalm of a group of five psalms called the Hallel, or the praise, that people would sing at Passover. And so it makes sense when the people say, blessed is he who comes in the name of Israel, Hosanna, save us, they're quoting Psalm 118. This is a Passover song, but instead of singing it about God, they're singing it to Jesus. Like, it's starting to happen. That's why the, the world is going, like, they're starting to believe that this really is God. If you read through Psalm 118 this week, you'll see it says things like, I shall not die, but I shall live. What does that sound like? Psalm 118 is, Jesus quotes it when he says, the stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. Psalm 118, they say, save us, we pray, O Lord. Hosanna in Hebrew. And then Psalm 118, they say, bind the festal sacrifice with cords. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords. The irony of the people singing this psalm to Jesus as he enters Jerusalem in this moment that seems like a triumph, it's called the triumphal entry, is that they're actually singing a funeral song. They think they're singing a praise song. Bind the festal cord, or the festal sacrifice with cords. Because in just five days, They'll be chanting something different. They'll be the same crowd will be saying, crucify him, crucify him, and he'll be hung on a cross. So there's a progression here. We're moving from worship. Worship can be costly or it can be cheap to lordship, 
which can only be costly. How does it happen that these same people who cried out for a Savior as Jesus rode into town would in the same week cry out for his execution? Well, it's because they wanted a Savior. Hosanna, save us. But they refused a Lord. They wanted salvation. They thought that the Messiah would bring them freedom from the Roman Empire. But instead, he was building a new kingdom and a new kind of kingdom that was greater than any earthly nation or empire or government with him as the king. It's not a democracy. Jesus demands to be the king. Going to a parade is free. How many of us like parades? I hate parades. I can't. If I never went to another parade, I'd be happy. Um, it's, but it's free. That's where the crowd was, okay? They're like, hey, we get to go to a parade. Who doesn't want that? It's free. Accepting Jesus as Lord costs you everything. We should ask ourselves if, like the crowds, we're counting on a Savior but denying our Lord. Jesus demands to be both. He didn't come quietly into Jerusalem. He didn't sneak into Jerusalem, even though they were seeking his life. In all of the Gospels, we learn, hey, it's, it was God's idea in the Old Testament, the prediction from Zechariah 9.9, and then Jesus fulfilling that. He's like, hey, go get me, go get me a donkey. I'm riding in. We're going to have a parade. You might think, well, a donkey, that doesn't seem like a very dignified way. That was actually the way that a non-militaristic, a peaceful king, would ride into town on a donkey. If your king came in on something else, you better get out of town. And so he rides in as a king of peace. Is there an area of your life where you want Jesus to save you? You'd be like, God, I need help. I need saved from this. But you refuse him as Lord. Did you know that Jesus can only save us in the areas where we allow him to be Lord? Even in Acts chapter 2, the very first time the gospel is proclaimed, Jesus has to be Lord and Christ. The commands, the rules, the lordship of Christ, they're not there to oppress us. They are there to save us from ourselves. But we have to accept his way over our own. We have to bow to our humble king. We can't just cry out, Hosanna, save. That feels good. Hosanna. We also have to proclaim, Jesus, you are Lord. If you can't pay the cost of lordship, you're going to miss out on the gift of salvation. Let's talk about one more cost here, the cost of discipleship. Keep reading. John 12, 20. It says, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks, just like Psalm 45 mentioned. Isn't that amazing? So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, 
there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man will be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. So there's one more step in this progression that we see in the text. Like the narratives of this chapter, our lives should be moving from worship to lordship to discipleship. Discipleship is where we freely decide to follow Jesus and his way instead of our own. It's where we commit to the lordship of Jesus. And we joyfully pay the cost of worship and lordship. John reveals here that even non-Jewish people are seeking Jesus. And this prompts Jesus to address the crowd and to reveal the scope of his saving work. He's not just there for Israel. His death, burial, and resurrection are like a seed planted into the earth. The earth that will grow and produce a worldwide harvest. And look, here we are. He's honest about the cost that he's going to pay. It's excruciating. He says, it's troubling my soul. And I think that he really sets an example for us in this. The true cost of worship Lordship and discipleship is high. But it pales in comparison to what Jesus was willing to give. When we keep this in mind, we can endure some pretty amazing things and see God's glory even in the toughest times. But we have to keep Jesus in mind. How many times have you inspired somebody because your life was easy? Right? You might inspire jealousy. But, but we don't get inspired when we hear that somebody spent a week at the beach. There's nothing wrong with that. That's awesome. Go to the beach, have fun. But you don't come back and be like, guys, I spent a week at the beach. People are like, whoa, radical. Think about the times when people have really been impressed by you or amazed or even gained strength by your example. Are they not all times when you were buried? Are our most inspirational moments not also the moments when we thought we died and then overcame by trusting in God? Here's the thing I wish I could remember every time I'm feeling like I'm getting plowed under in my life. I'm not getting buried. I'm getting planted. I'll say that again. You're not getting buried. 
be getting planted. We saw that last week with Lazarus. We know what God can do with the dead. And we'll see it in the greatest possible week as we move into the Last Supper in these next five sermons and then to the cross. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. No impact. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's Jesus. The little deaths, the heartaches, the setbacks we face. Here's the thing. They're not just a, like a neat way that we can like, think about things and maybe inspire people. They are the way that we impact the world. That's what Jesus says here. You want to make a difference? This. Rising from setbacks is the vehicle that God uses to bear fruit in the world. From Jesus all the way to your life. Jesus is the greatest example of this, but as his disciples, if we're actually going to follow him, not just when it's easy at the beach, but if we're going to follow him in our lives, we have the same power, and this is a different way to think about it, we have the power to get buried, to inexplicably grow, and to bear much fruit. That's discipleship. This is why the very next sermon, or sentence from Jesus is this, whoever loves his life loses it. Say, hey, it's not just me, guys. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor me. It's a call to discipleship. We're seeing it in our world right now. Laura talked about it. It's, it's hard not to talk about it. What a beautiful week. All of the death and fruitless branches from the past few months are being overcome by leaves and flowers, and it's stunning, it's inspiring, it's beautiful, and it's going to snow tomorrow. <laughs> but here's the thing, that's not, just, that's not just nature's story. It's the story of our nature as disciples of Jesus Christ. Spring comes, and then it snows a little bit, but then it's all going to be okay. The cost is heavy. It's some kind of death and burial. But when we pay the cost by remaining faithful, we reap more than we could have ever imagined. Do you believe that? It's so hard to believe when you're getting buried. God himself is glorified by faithful followership. That's what Jesus tells the world in this last chapter before the end. Let's close out with this final thought. Um, we'll read the, the very last part of this chapter, verse 44. It says, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever, sees, uh, and whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has, has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say, as the Father has told me. Those are Jesus' last public words. 
in the Gospel of John. That's what, he, that's what he wants the crowd to know before he goes up to the upper room with his disciples. Jesus wants to make one thing clear for a crowd that is still struggling to believe, even though he's raised the dead. And that one thing he wants them to know is he came to save, not to judge. He came for life, not death. You know, when you, uh, when you go out to an awesome restaurant, you're not thinking about the moment that the waitress brings the bill. At least I hope you're not. If you want to enjoy the food, you want to enjoy the company, just you, you sit back and you enjoy. This is the first century, you lay on your side and you scoop, okay? You know the bill's coming, you don't think about it. Because look, at it's, it's, it's this feast. It's so awesome that we get to eat like this. You're not planning to dine and dash. You know you got the money to pay. So you savor every bite of that quesadilla taco dipped in the consomme with that perfect green hot sauce. And you enjoy the time you spend with your friends, right? I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. Not the taco part. What he's saying is, yeah, judgment is coming. In fact, Jesus has revealed the cost of salvation on the menu. Everything's really expensive. It's so costly. In fact, it will cost you everything. Nothing in life is free. But at the same time, it's also totally free for us. It's not right to say it's free. Oh, it's so costly. Look at that cross. It's free for us. When the bill does come, we find it's been paid. What could make a dinner better? That's better than dessert, right? Oh, this, that, that couple over there are paid for your meal. What? That's what Jesus has done. Judgment has been taken by another, by Jesus, resulting in salvation for us. Salvation is not free because it's cheap. Ah, everybody gets salvation. You get some salvation, you get some. Ah, dollar store. It's free because no matter how much we try to pay, we could never afford it. The only way for us to get saved is if someone else foots the bill. And so Jesus leaves the world with this thought. I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. There is a judge. The very words that I spoke will be your judge. But I came to save. So you don't have to wait and worry for the bill to come. And at the same time, hey, don't take it for granted. This is an incredible feast. This is an amazing life. This salvation is incredible. Put your, put your all into this feast. Because you're going to get what you pay for. Here's what you can do. You can pay the price of worship by posturing your life with true humility. You can't afford salvation, but you can pay that price. You can accept the charge of lordship and let Jesus be Lord of all. And you can count the cost of discipleship and grow up stronger every time you get buried. And in the end, you won't just get what you paid for. 
you'll get more than you ever deserved and more than you could ever imagine. Amen? Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Lansing Area Church of Christ. While we're happy to share this message via podcast, we'd love to pray and worship with you in person. To learn more about our services or to connect with us, please visit us at lansingchurch.org. Have a great week and go with God. Thank you.